0: We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and if you listen carefully, and we all amend it, I'm glad we're getting back to the amending of passages. But if you amend that passage, you also heard how awful that passage sounds. Because it starts off, I'll just recall the first verse. Understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there are going to come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self. And he goes on to paint this picture of what that is going to end up looking like. The picture is depressing. Human nature in the last days. Anybody know when the last days are? Now. That's the best answer there is. It was also now to Timothy. It's been the last days since at least Acts 2, probably since Jesus ascended. It's the last days. There's nothing else that remains that God has to accomplish before he calls it quits for all of this, right? The only thing that remains is Jesus coming. That's the only That's the only thing. So we are in the last days, and he says, This is how human nature is going to degenerate in the last days. I want you, and he says to Timothy, I'm only telling this so you'll understand it. There's nothing really you can do much about that but I want you to understand that in the last days this is how people will live this is how people will be and he paints this awful terrible picture and it's depressing and I wrote a couple of sermons this week trying to figure out okay what does this word mean and where do we see this you watch the evening news and you see the truth of this passage like lived out it is like what you see in our world He was right on. It wasn't prophecy, it was already there, and it's prophecy for the rest of time, I guess, right? But those sermons were depressing. I didn't want to present them. We're coming out of Thanksgiving. We're re-engaging in our world with a spirit of gratitude. You don't need to hear such depressing stuff. But it's what the Bible says. So what are you gonna do about it? Well, here's what it really is. I mean. This is what the world looks like without the gospel saving them. This is what you and your life will look like if you didn't have the gospel. I decided to look at it that way. How does the gospel save us from this? What is it about the gospel that that keeps us from degenerating into this picture that we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3? It's a wonderful thing because what it says to us is, y'all, if it weren't for the gospel, this is what we'd look like. But let's celebrate the fact we do have the gospel. And because of that, we're saved from this. And by the way, it's the only thing that will save this generation of people is the gospel that we believe and that we're proclaiming that we gathered around the table to dramatize in the Lord's Supper. Let me say a few things. And first observation is this, is that the gospel saves us from ourselves. The gospel saves us from ourselves. And that sounds so crazy. Who knew that they needed saving? Right? So he says, when he starts this, this is what people, they will be lovers of self. And then he closes this out in verse 4. They'll be lovers of the self rather than God. They'll love stuff. This is what we do. In other words, when we decide to take God off the throne of our lives and put ourselves in that seat, this is what will happen. This is what will take place. Now, we think, right? I think I could run the world better than what it looks like. Now, how many of you have said that to yourself? I could run this world better than the way we do it. Anybody else think that way? I think I could too, but I think I'm wrong. I think if I sit on the throne and I try to do what I think is best, the same exact messes will develop because that is what happens when human beings are on the throne where they don't belong. We are not supposed to be there. We don't have it within ourselves. And the way Paul describes it is, here's the first thing that happens. Mark my words, Romans 1 or here or any other passage, the moment you sit on a throne, take God off, and you do things your way and the way you think it's best, immorality results every single time. Immorality runs amok. And you see this painted in this passage right here. All the immoral behaviors of people flow out of the fact They're calling their own shots rather than submitting to the lordship of Christ. That's what happens all the time. And what we try to do in our culture is we try to take the symptoms of this immorality and deal with each one and think that we can fix it without getting to the root of the problem, which is putting God back on the throne. I'm not going to submit to him. I want to be my own ruler, but I don't like this, this behavior. It's bad, and so I want to treat the behavior. And so we have anger management programs we make people go to. We try to cram critical race theory down everybody's throats. We force people to have better behavior toward the opposite gender, right? We try to swat bad behavior away from kids in school or time out good behavior into them at school, and we're finding it's not working. We try to put human life and respect for human life and the respect for human authority by superficial means into people, and it doesn't work. We try to legislate morality and make people do the right thing, but in so doing, we're rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic because we never can seem to reach the heart. So Paul says, you know what all this tells you? All our immorality, every bit of it goes back to the day when we escorted God off the throne and we insisted on sitting there ourselves. And this is what happens. According to what he just says in these first four verses, we will make money, we will make money and pleasure the things we want most and we'll do anything that we can to get it. It will be our God. It will drive everything that we do. Is that not the world? We will abuse people. We will use and abuse people physically, verbally, and emotionally in order to get what I want. I will, recog- I will not recognize my indebtedness to other people. I will not feel grateful. I will not have a proper, natural love for people. I will not have compassion for people. And I'll be brutal and I'll be treacherous to get what I want. That's our world. There will be no restraints that I recognize. God's will is not a restraint. The the parental position in my life, their authority, all human authority, it's not going to restrain me. Basic human respect will not restrain me. What is good for everybody doesn't restrain me. Nothing will keep me from pursuing whatever I want. There are no limits, and I will never tell myself no. No. Why? Because I'm on the throne, I'm calling the shots. That's what's going to happen when we replace God with ourselves. Look in our world and see if that's not exactly what's happening. But the gospel, the gospel that we believe, that we obey, will not let you do that. It nips it in the bud, right? The gospel is a response to the bad news, and you have to admit the bad news before you can accept the good news. The bad news is I am not, I am sinful, and I'm not fit to rule. I'm not fit to rule my life, and I'm certainly not fit to rule yours. I don't have it within me. So Jesus says, if you're going to accept the gospel, you've got to say no to yourself, deny yourself. You've got to admit to yourself, just like Jeremiah said, it is not within me to direct my own steps. There's a way that seems right to me, but the end is a way to death, and so I've got to submit to the Lord himself. Praise the Lord, there is somebody who's worthy to be on the throne and will govern our lives well. But it's not us, but we need to name him, don't we? His name is Jesus the King. And our job is to one day admit this, to see this, and to bow before him and pay homage to him. Jesus said it concisely this way, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these other things will be ordered properly. The blessings of God are abundant, but you know what happens when instead of being blessings, they become curses because we've made them the main theme of life? We need to put them under God's dominion and let them become blessings again. And I confess this is not easy for any of us. Sometimes I still insist on taking God off the throne and calling my own shots. I think even while I'm doing that, I know that's not the right thing, but I just can't resist. But to obey the gospel, the good news, you every day resist this urge to rise up over God and not submit to Him. And if you ever go to church, if you never go to church to hear a message that sometimes makes you say no to yourself, that makes you look at the things you do and say, I've got to stop doing that. If that's not your experience, you're not being preached the gospel because it's going to keep telling you, God is Lord, Jesus is Lord, you are not. And when you really want to have a, Declaration of independence and do your own thing. That's when you most need to say no to yourself. That's why we're here this morning. I'm looking at you dads and mom and dads. You're bringing your family up this hill into the presence of God to model for your entire family for yet another week that you don't have what it takes to manage your own life. That's why you came up here. We don't have the wisdom, we don't have the strength, we don't have the power, we don't have anything to manage our own lives. And so we come up here in the presence and we lead our families in the presence to bow, to bow with our children and our wives in acknowledgement that we need God in our lives. And next week we're going to be here again to say it again because we can't afford to forget this in a nutshell. The gospel saves us from us. It saves you from you. And even in the moments when you most are frustrated by that, you are grateful for it. While the rest of the world falls victim to self-rule, you're free because of the gospel. That's something to be proud of the gospel for. So for a couple of songs... Let's sing it. Even if there are moments in your life when you actually don't mean this, sing it like you want to mean it. The gospel saves us from ourselves, but it also has tremendous power. In the book of Romans, that famous line that first chapter, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Paul's saying I'm proud of the gospel. It is a power of God to save. And it is. It's the power of God to save but in Ephesians, when he's praying for them, he says, I hope that, you'll open the, that God will open the eyes of your heart. You can see the power that he's given you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. That's not about cleansing you of your sin. That's power from God to change us. Both of these is the power of God. And it's through the gospel, and you have it. We sing a couple of songs. We're going to sing them here in a minute that talk about this one is called there's power in the blood and we sing it we've sung it for years and you know what you're familiar with it we sing about being free from the burden of sin and losing our sin stains the power of God to save us to cleanse us is in the blood of Jesus but he also says in that song or we sing in that song the power to break free from our passion and our pride Those things that we want most, those things that oppose God and we long to and we're drawn to, the power of God through the gospel comes to us so that we can say no. We have the power to actually restrain those passions. We can actually change. Another one that we sing is Rock of Ages. And the first line ends with this first. Verse ends with this amazing line Be of sin the double cure. It's a two pronged cure. The first one it says, Cleanse me from its guilt. That's the power of God to save. No longer are you guilty of sin, that sin's been purged. But the rest of it says, And its power. We've been released from the power of sin to keep us enslaved to our desires. And by because of the blood of Jesus and the gospel and what he did on the cross, it actually empowers us to make a different choice. We can live a different kind of life. Don't fall prey to this, this weird thing that people will say, well, it cleansed you of your sin, you're saved, and, 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 and just go on living your way, skipping and jumping. No, no, no. It gives you the power to change things. I want you to see the description, Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. It's a weird line. The ESV says this, having the appearance of godliness, the facade, the look of godliness, but denying its power. There were these people going around teaching certain forms of the truth. And here's what they did. They attended worship. A very public, obvious mark of the Christian life. They attended worship. They read scripture. They may pray in public. They were doing some of the marks of the Christian. These are what, what everybody knows are what Christians do. But here's the thing. Here's the thing they were doing. It was all that they were doing. That was all. Those are the most fakeable expressions of Christianity in the world. And there are some people who only do those things. That's it. I'm going to do the obvious marks, and it's going to look like I've behavior modified myself into being saved. And what he is saying, (coughs) these people look like christians but when you look into their lives for a long time there's no power flowing out of them christianity is not just behavior change it's certainly not just public behavior change it's a total life that has been fully transformed by the power of god that's unleashed within you and it's supposed to come out in all sorts of ways not just the ones that can be faked. There's a total Christ-like transformation that is to happen in the Christian life. These people were playing gospel games. You know what gospel games are? Things that look so impressive to people, but they aren't backed by a life that's real. They were quibbling over words and elaborate, arrogant use of myths, and they were showing that they knew the right words, and they could explain these weird, spiritualized things that made no difference at all. But when you looked into their lives, there was nothing different. They were refusing to have their life actually governed by the gospel. And over time, you can see this. These two people named here, this is odd, these are the two people that were the magicians that faced Moses and Exodus. They're not named in Exodus. You're not named in the Old Testament anywhere. Suddenly, Paul has a name for these two guys. It's kind of strange. This is kind of like in Jewish literature. They named these two magicians that went against Moses. Have you always wondered how did the magicians copy what Moses did for the first two plagues? And then after that, they said, we're out. That's the finger of God. We can't do this, right? They were able to fake it along a little while, but over time, it became clear they weren't legit. And Paul is saying to Timothy, watch these guys over a long period of time. The Christian life isn't this sprint that you run and impress people for a week or two. The Christian life is a marathon that takes up your whole life. And over time, it becomes clear who is really transformed and who's playing the Christian game. Who's playing that little fakeable thing where I'm just going to church and I'm looking like I've got it all together, but when I go home at nine o'clock on the computer, I'm at sites that I would never want anybody to see at church, or that I'm hanging with the wrong people or I'm saying the wrong words, I, It's the transformation you see when you are, you are become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life, and here's why the Holy Spirit comes in so that he will come out of you, and what comes out of you should be holiness all the time not just on Sunday morning at 9 or 10. It should be real. So Timothy says, Paul says to Timothy, don't fight them, don't don't resist them, because over time they'll prove whether they're real or not. Because the real gospel is not about acting your way into holiness. The real gospel is, Is about allowing the Holy Spirit to so infiltrate you on the inside, He unleashes power that comes out in holiness on the outside. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 366 days a year if it's leap year. Right? The gospel is that power. You don't have to make yourself by yourself. You have to cooperate with God, but the power is in you because of the gospel, not just for forgiveness of sins, but to change your life. That's another reason we're proud of the gospel. The gospel saves you from you. The gospel gives you tremendous power from God overcoming sin It's guilt and its ability to control your life. But the gospel settles some things. There's this weird image, and Paul is not against women. Anybody who says he's against all women is wrong. Paul is against silly women. If you are a silly woman, raise your hand. So you guys are safe. Here is what he says in verse 6. I want you to notice this. This is how the false teachers... Do their stuff. It's the M.O. of a false teacher in Timothy's context. For among them are those who creep into households. Have you ever found anybody creeping in your house? Who creeps in your house? Graydon? Who creeps in your house? What? Dogs. Okay. Okay. I'm not going to ask him. Who creeps into your house? People who should not be there are the ones who creep in your house. This is their, this, uh, they creep slowly, they, f- they get themselves into your house. That's what he's saying in verse 6. And they capture weak women. Weak, what's weak mean? They are burdened with sins led astray by their passions. These women know that they're sinful people and they feel shame. Can I tell you that even people who don't know that sin is their problem, they know they feel shame. Many people in this world are living lives where they feel the shame of their behavior in their lives. They don't know what to do with it, and it weighs them down, and they're conscious of it at all times. Not only that, but their passions are all out of whack. In other words, there's so many things that they're doing that they know they shouldn't be doing. Well, that's weird. They're always learning, but never able to know the truth. They're always learning, but they're never able to arrive at anything. They're looking for something, and they never find it. And these teachers they're paying to come into their houses are saying the newest philosophies, and they're going to the self-help book section of of the bookstore, and they're bringing in the latest self-help book and the latest thing that you can do that make you feel better. And they try it, and they think it's going to work, but it doesn't work. And they go to the next thing and the next philosophy. You know what it says in Acts 17? All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I want to hear the latest. Maybe something will work. Maybe will, something will drive my guilt away. Maybe something will make me feel better, help me to control my passions. And these women would keep hearing these things, and these teachers would keep coming back, and they would pay them for the next thing. And the next week, they'd come back in for a never-ending, ever-ending Bible study, trying to figure out something to be the cure for their pain. This is why there are especially older people we hear about sitting at home listening to TV preachers, and they send them the money, for the stupidest things. This is why people are constantly looking at the New York Times bestseller list, give me the latest book, maybe this next one will be the trick, maybe this next one will be the thing I need to know, and so I'm constantly piling up new knowledge, but I don't really know anything. Nothing's been set. This is why people drink. This is why people go for a drug. They're driving the shame out. They're trying to figure out, but they're not. They're just drowning it out for a moment. This is why, as C.S. Lewis says, when a man goes knocking on a brothel, He's looking for God, he just doesn't know how to find him, and he thinks, if I just feel good and meet the next woman, the next right woman will take away the shame, but what he finds out, he'll have to go knocking next week. You can keep on knocking, right, but it's not going to help you because that's not where the problem is. They keep looking for a solution in the wrong places, and you're buying stuff late at night on those stupid commercials that you think, this will fix my problem. No, it won't. It's a never-ending supply of options that do not work. There is something that works. There's one thing that forgives your sin. I can say this morning, you can go and look at karma and every other world religion. You can read every other word, thing that you can think. There is only one thing that forgives your sin. The blood of Jesus Quit your searching. Quit your exploring. Quit your trial and error. Go to the gospel. It's the one place where you can find the cure to this guilt. And also that gives you the power to overcome those silly, those silly passions that you just can't seem to control. And it gets you more and more into the life of shame. It's a perfect combination of forgiveness for our failure and power for future victory is found in the gospel. And what I want us to say, church, is quit being timid with it. This world is going straight to hell, and it looks just like it does in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and the only thing that will curb it is the gospel. Do you believe that? Then why not live it? Those who love diving deep into questions you'll never answer, can I tell you the gospel's the source of that too? There's so much stuff in that gospel that I'd like to know, and I sit and I think about it with Vendus all the time. He's always talking about stuff you can't answer. He's irritating that way. But I love diving into that, trying to figure it out. But listen, we may not figure that out. There's some stuff in the gospel that's deep enough. If you want to dive in and try to figure it out and challenge your inquiring mind, it's there. But can I tell you, there's enough stuff settled and nailed down you can build a life on. There's enough that's absolutely sure, and that's why we tell it to the world. You need, you need a, a, a solution to your shame. There's only one thing that can actually cleanse a conscience in the book of Hebrews, the blood of Jesus. That's the only thing that can, and then it gives you power to live a different kind of life. Quit looking in all the wrong places. The next bestseller, the next great hot speaker on YouTube, the great internet program, the great product that you can buy 1 800 all you need is right there in the gospel. It's been in front of you all the time, and it's true for the world today. There's a lot of things I don't know, but the most important things we do know. The gospel saves us from ourselves, it provides tremendous power, and it settles things and gives us assurance and freedom. And oh, that the world could know that, in a world of people seeking to call their own shots and calling it independence and freedom, seeking power and trying to create their own peace and knowledge, but losing their freedom and traveling this self-destructive path that will only lead to total destruction. Let's not be like the world. Let's trust the gospel and take advantage of what God's given us. May we escape this. But more importantly, even than that, or as important as that, let's take it to them. Let's embody this. Let's share this. Let's hate where that leads so badly that the solution we know that we have, we'll share that's what we're supposed to do. Let's be proud of the gospel, not timid. Let's, let's be proud of it so much so that we actually live it out, submit ourselves to it, and we share it with a world that desperately needs it. And this morning, if you are a gospel follower, please, please be people who are proud of that gospel and confident of that gospel. As Paul says, I won't boast in anything about me, but I will boast in that cross. And let's take it to a lost and dying world. If there's anyone who's not responded to this gospel, I can't think of a solitary reason in this world you wouldn't. And this morning it's available to you. Bow your knee to Jesus. Name him Lord. Admit that you don't have what it takes to rule your own life and let him do it. And live in the victorious power of light of that. If you're subject to it, And you're ready for it. Come as we stand and sing.